0: hello what's your point
1: you know i would be remiss if i didn't mention garnett the important role that you're playing on wpkn in not simply independent journalism but making sure voices get out the reality is that as we talk about social media and, and criticism and hashtag conversation like deep dialogue about these issues is really what we're going to need if we're going to ever get to that point of reimagination. So I just wanted to to thank you, you know, we've got to live for the revolution, um, and that revolution really is going to uh, have to be one that allows us to to conquer these inequalities and move forward as,
0: as as a nation as a whole, but also as a community united. Okay, thank you so much. I believe dialogue is very important for the continuation and maintenance of a democracy. One should be tolerant of all views different to yours. It is much better to use words to settle differences than with weapons. You see, weapons destroy human beings. When all these differing views are put together, a consensus should be found to move the nation forward together for one common cause. At the end of an argument, we may disagree but not become disagreeable. Welcome to another broadcast of What's Your Point here on WPKN Radio 89.5 FM. I am Garnet Anker. On this, the day before Independence Day, I think it fitting to start with a quotation from Frederick Douglass. What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty an unholy license, your national greatness swelling vanity, your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless, your denunciations of tyrants brass-fronted impudence, your shouts of liberty and equality hollow mockery your prayers and hymns your sermons and thanksgivings with all your religious parade and solemnity are to him mere bombast fraud deception impiety and hypocrisy a thin veil to cover up crimes which would disgrace a nation of savages frederick Douglass, excerpt from a speech he gave july 5 18 On the show today is a person who is no stranger to What's Your Point. She is Director of Organizing at Cattle Center in Hartford, Connecticut. The center has offices in New York as well. A warm welcome to Kenyatta Thompson.
1: Good morning. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're so welcome. How are you coping with COVID these days?
1: To be honest, it is strange coping with COVID-19 just because I think so much of the country makes it seem as though we are out of the pandemic when we know that that is not true. So I'm doing my best to stay sane and continue to mask up and get my booster and stay vaccinated. Um, Meanwhile, the rest of the country are walking around maskless, not really caring. So it is a strange sensation to be be trying to still stay sane during this pandemic while we are living in a government that does not prioritize the health of its citizens and i also wanted to name that i think that quote by frederick douglas and that excerpt was absolutely on point and i was going to bring it up during this conversation so i'm glad we started there
0: okay uh, yeah we can talk about it in a little while yes has the pandemic affected the work at Cattell in terms of face-to-face contact with clients
1: it has. We are a member-driven organization, and so COVID-19 has definitely changed how we connect with our members, how we do our outreach, how we reach out to different communities, and we've had to adapt in the virtual environment, so we've switched a lot of our meetings to Zoom and different other different platforms that you can use online thankfully we had done it pre-pandemic as well because of our uh, being a statewide organization we've always had to do that but it has definitely changed now with uh, vaccines being a little more available and the rates uh, they do fluctuate so when the rates are really high we stick to a virtual space with our members and make sure that we're connecting online and we are you know making sure that If we were to gather, we're physically distant, but we limit that significantly. And then when the COVID numbers are a little bit lower and we can go outside, we make sure that we can go out, we can meet with people, make sure we have our masks, make sure we have N95 masks in particular. It has definitely changed.
0: Okay. uh, You mentioned the quote I gave on uh, Frederick Douglass. I want to give it a chance now to say your piece on, on it.
1: That is absolutely true. We're doing this the day before July 4th, which, uh, uh, what does that mean to the American slave, which is what he asked so many years ago, and it still rings true. What does July 4th mean to black people in America? What does that mean? What does that freedom mean? And um, I, the excerpt that, I, that you had read that was really poignant to me, you said, shouts of liberty, they're a hollow mockery. It is fraud, deception, and hypocrisy that is so true especially with everything that is going on nationally in our country, whether we're talking about COVID-19, where the government uh, is lifting bans and, and making it so that you know, people can go out. What is liberty for people with disabilities? How is that? You know, we know this disproportionately impacts uh, communities of color, black communities, specifically indigenous communities, poor communities, um, or whether we're talking about uh, this era of Ro- post Roe v. Wade, there, where is the liberty in that? That is a hollow mockery of what people like myself and so many others are going through.
0: Yes, and I will talk about uh, Roe versus Wade later on during the show. Uh, you're listening to What's Your Point on WPKN. My guest on the show is Kenyatta Thompson, Director of Organizing at Catal Center for Equity, Health and Justice. I am Garnet Ankle. In the American society today, there's a great misconception. Others would say ignorance about whether there are those in the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex and asexual LGBTQIA community have rights like anyone else. We see some states in the union are making life very difficult for those in the that community, for those attending schools and into adulthood, your thoughts on the whole situation, Kenya.
1: It's absolutely horrifying what we're seeing. And as a queer person myself, these are things that we go through on a daily basis, whether we're talking about interpersonal with sometimes our interactions between people, or whether we're talking about in society as a whole where you're seeing uh, Justice Thomas uh, insinuate that we should, uh, that the United States should repeal same-sex marriage and repeal even contraceptives for couples. That it is a, a step backwards in in the forward progress that we've made. And we're even seeing attacks on our children and trans children specifically. There were more than a hundred bills that were introduced in 2022 alone that that attacked trans children on several different levels. Whether we're talking about trans kids trying to receive gender affirming care or whether we're talking about trans kids um, just being able to exist and play sports and and do things that children do. Um, We're absolutely going backwards. But this presents an opportunity to organize, which we can talk about later. But there's a lot.
0: So, in terms of uh, those bills, are you ta- you're referring not to federal, but in the various states across the country? Is that true?
1: Correct. The Bills in Alabama, bills in Florida, bills in Ohio. Uh, really harmful bills in Texas. There are just a number of anti-trans uh, bills that are attacking children. And at the core of what we're what this is doing, it's attacking children. And we know that those are going to impact children of even further marginalized identities, whether we're talking about kids who are black and trans, whether we're talking about kids who have disabilities and who are trans, or kids who are Latinx who are trans. So it is a horrifying situation to see these bills pop up and the impact that it is going to have on on current generations and future generations.
0: And then in the state of Florida, there is a thing called uh, don't say gay. What what is going on there? I mean, they're, yeah. they're trying to erase a, a section of the American society.
1: It absolutely is. The Don't Say Gay bill is probably one of the more horrifying bills that was introduced this year. It is going. It forbids instruction on LGBTQ issues in the classroom, and that ranges from history to um, the advancements that queer people have made. And there are some some. Municipalities in Florida has even have even gone so far as to say that children can't wear rainbow colors in the classroom children can't um, speak about anything that they are going through in the classroom. And it's even attacking uh, trans children who are trying to engage in sports again something that children just want to do to have fun to be creative to get a physical outlet out and. When you see Governor DeSantis in Florida introduce bills like Don't Say Gay, and then you see, let's say, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas also introducing incredibly harmful bills that are attacking trans kids, it is ultimately attacking an entire, like you said, a, a culture. Like what we're doing is attacking our culture and we're attacking people at its core.
0: It's sickening. How can a nation claims democracy and goes around the world preaching democracy and equal rights of people trying to erase a sector or a section of the, the society when where are the people to stand up and say this should end?
1: I think I would hearken to Frederick Douglass. That is the hypocrisy. And the American lie that we legitimately have a democracy. This country was founded on imperialism, genocide, and enslavement of entire swaths of people. And so this is probably the most American thing that Governor DeSantis in Florida could do, that all of the other governors and lawmakers who are pushing these bills, and even the president who is allowing these things to happen. And as far as, like, where the people we, whether we're talking about queer people or people who stand in solidarity with us, um, allies, and, and I don't know, I'm, I'm having trouble with the term allies, so I'll go with co-conspirators um, for this, and co-conspirators with us. Like, We have been making noise, and this presents an even more, uh, this presents an opportunity for us to even just deepen and strengthen the organizing, the activism that we're doing to push back against these laws that are ultimately attacking our true our true selves there are this this these laws will continue to be introduced and so it is like up to us to continue to push back against them
0: so whenever any person has a sexual orientation is it learned or innate
1: i think that that is something that is innate and i think that as human beings we as we grow, we learn more about ourselves, we discover parts of ourselves that we didn't know. And you can find someone who may be a teenager who realizes, yep, yeah, you know what, I'm queer and they know that. And then you could find people who are at the opposite end of the spectrum who may not even realize that they are queer until they are later in their later in life. Could be there there are countless stories of people who are in their sixties and seventies who didn't even realize that they were that because they just did not realize that part of themselves. They didn't discover. I think that's a beautiful thing of being able to grow and age is that you get to learn more pieces of yourself, whether we're talking about whom you're attracted to or whether we're talking about just learning other facets of yourself. And then when you see laws like this, when you see, and it's not just laws, right? It's culture shifts. When you see a culture that will allow for a bill like the don't say gay bill in Florida to exist, what you do is end up, you end up stifling and killing that individual. They don't get a chance to learn and grow and discover parts of themselves that they may not have realized existed. And what freedom it is to be a teenager and learn and recognize, you know what, that you were queer, that you don't have to stifle yourself until you're in your 60s and 70s. That is a beautiful thing, and we should encourage that rather than discourage it.
0: So how do you get an ignorant person to understand that this is not learned? People are just who they are because of who they are. How do you get that? To how do you get people to recognize that these homophobes? How do you get them to understand what you're saying here?
1: I think there could be multiple answers to this. I think one of them is just being in proximity to other people, recognizing that this is normal. If you live in a homogenous community, you may think that homogeneous uh, uh, just everyone is around you the same you're going to think that that is that is that is it you're going to think that that is the norm and when there is no opportunity or no no space for otherness to come in you think that otherness is bad and that's mostly what the United States looks like it, I think it, there's a misconception when you live in a more populous city and especially those of us who live on the coast whether East Coast or west Coast uh, there's just a lot of diversity and that's there's a long, sorted reason, you know, in history for that. But there's a whole swath of the country in the middle. There's, um, and and most of the country lives in many homogenous zones. So if you're a, like, if people who are homophobic live in communities where most of the people whom they know are not queer, they're going to think that that is the norm. And I also want to put an asterisk here that you probably know queer people. They just are not out. Because we have to sometimes hide ourselves in order to survive, because we live in states like that. Um, and then I think the flip side of, I think another answer of like, how do you get homophobes to to understand that queer people are, um, you know, human? I think, like, to be real, this is my view. I not everyone is going to think that. So at minimum, you can still be a homophobe, but like once you start infringing upon my rights. Like, you're, that that is a problem. You cannot deny my existence to exist. Like, um, deny my existence and expect resistance.
0: So are you able to say the reasons people change their sex with which they're born? I know you, you mentioned a little about it earlier. Could you expound on that?
1: I can a little. And I'll note that um, I am not trans, so I want to be, um, you know, super respectful of my trans siblings um, and, and just name that out the gate. I, I think that... I think that there there are folks who may be assigned a certain gender at birth, and so you may be assigned female, you may be assigned male, but that binary is not a binary that is real uh that is a quite a colonial binary and colonialism has its roots in trying to make you one way or another and so there's a whole history of indigenous communities Um, and when i say indigenous in this context i don't just mean indigenous to the united states but i mean indigenous to africa i mean indigenous to new zealand i mean indigenous to india and other countries there are entire indigenous communities that have for centuries lived without a gender binary. When, whether we're talking about two spirit uh, people who are indigenous Americans or whether we're talking about um, other indigenous cultures where there was not just male or female. And even biologically, there are people who are intersex, and that is a clear example of why there is no gender binary. So I think that when people do. Uh, change their assigned gender at birth it is a natural it is a quite natural thing that we as Americans in particular or we as people who have been colonized by Europeans have been forced to believe this myth in this binary in a number of different ways and gender is just one of those things
0: so why are those in the LGBTQIA community so misunderstood by the wider society think especially
1: in America, I think that there has been significant repression of queer people. And throughout our history as as throughout American history, queer people have not always been in the shadows. In the 1800s, um, and and I may not get my numbers right completely on this, so give me a little bit of grace here. But um, in, in white culture, there was the Maraschino Society, and they were queer people um, and predominantly men uh, who would just gather, and it was a common it was a common thing. Um, I think that as our society has uh, aged, right, like as we have just grown as an American culture, there. There has been this repression on queer people, and I think that this repression is also fueled by capitalism. I think this uh, repression is fueled by a lot of things. It's a lot easier to force people into a gender binary. You can you can profit off of that. You can profit off of the oppression of others. You can profit off of um, putting people in these categories so that they only have these two lanes that they feel that they can go into and you stifle anything that is outside of those two lanes and it definitely has had a negative impact on our society for queer people just continuing to then force themselves like into the shadows or into the closets and we're just not standing for that anymore we are not standing for that i think and um, i'll stop here on this but If you look at a lot of the modern organizing spaces, activist spaces where social change is happening, they are led by queer people, often queer black people, um, but not just black people in this context. Like Queer people are often leading the way and paving the way in organizing spaces for us to radically reshape and rethink what our society could look like if we were to strip ourselves of colonialism and also allow ourselves to think past that colonialism, it is not just decolonizing like our society, but it's also decolonizing ourselves to think radically different, and I think queer people are just at the forefront of that.
0: So would you say uh, ignorance and, uh, is, is a part, in addition to capitalism, why uh people in lgbt community are misunderstood
1: absolutely i think ignorance is ignorance just plays i think a a really central role in all of this and and the more you can do things like don't say gay it don't it doesn't allow queer people to flourish when you can do um what the governor did in alabama which is banning uh k-12 students being able to like have lear- lgbtq learning or even ban them from like using uh um like going into sports it creates a culture where you have more ignorance around lgbtq issues and so you therefore think that that is the other and so the other must be bad whereas i think queer organizers queer activists queer advocates are changing that narrative to say actually the other is where we can blossom and the other is where we can actually get liberation
0: Would you also say intolerance plays a role?
1: Yes, and I think that's rooted going backwards a little bit of, like, if you deny my existence, like, expect resistance. Like, if you become intolerable of queer people, like, to create such an intolerance of queer people where, like, you can't even, like, don't say gay, you can't even say it, you can't even speak it, it's an immediate snuffing out, that definitely creates harm for queer people.
0: So, with the recent striking down of Roe versus Wade, what are the implications for same sex marriage laws in this nation?
1: I think Justice Thomas, when he announced that post Roe v. Wade, I think it was like a day after it hadn't even, I don't even know the ink was dry, less than 24 hours, like that announcement that we should get rid of same sex marriage, it is. I can't even say it's a dog whistle because dog whistles are sometimes a little more uh, implicit, but this was really explicit, right? Like this was just straight up. Like we should ban same sex marriage. It has, uh, that is going to be devastating because it opens the door, not just for same sex marriage. I think a lot of people look to same sex marriage and think like, Oh, queer people have like the same exact rights as everyone. Now that they can get married. No, that is not the case. We, we still have way more work to do. And so when you open the door on same sex marriage, it pushes us even further for getting other types of rights like making it so that um same-sex couples can get um have children making sure that same-sex couples like if one is in the hospital they can go and visit them making it so that uh, queer people can just exist freely the striking down of roe v wade is going to also impact queer communities like so much. Um, women uh, are absolutely impacted by uh, the banning of uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, but it's not only women who are impacted. It is trans men, it is non binary people, it is gender expansive people who give birth who are going to be impacted. And queer people are already pushed to the shadows so much that Roe v. Wade overturning is going to impact them. And then opening this door with um, Justice Thomas saying that we need to repeal same sex marriage is absolutely going to impact us negatively.
0: we should remind the listening audience, women's reproductive rights are still the law here in Connecticut even after Roe versus Wade was recently struck down.
1: Yes, Um, Governor Lamont in Connecticut just signed a bill that actually expanded abortion rights on Friday. So it is grateful that we in Connecticut still have these rights to get abortions and reproductive rights and they're protected. But we also know that because there is a federal ban, we still, it doesn't mean that we are carte blanche out of, um, that we are like out of, out of clear, right? Um, this ban could continue when Governor Lamont is, who knows what's gonna happen when we have another governor, right? Uh, it doesn't, it means that our siblings who are in other states are still going to be impacted and we have a, we have a, um, we have to fight with them because, you know, an attack against one is an attack against all and, we know the impact of federal bans just because something is banned federally and this whole idea of states rights, it does not mean that it won't come down and it may that soon impact us here in Connecticut. So, yes, we, we are we are in the clear for now. And this is the time for us to strengthen our laws. It is a time for us to strengthen our networks of care and continue to rely on the people who have been doing this work on the ground in reproductive rights in Connecticut, uh, local groups who have been doing this for a long time, the national groups that they have, local chapters who have been doing this, and then the grassroots folks who may not be affiliated with specific organizations but have networks of care, specifically um, queer folks who have been doing abortion rights, uh, black women who have been doing this work, sex workers who have been doing this work for a long time to make sure that we keep us safe.
0: And uh, this uh, striking down of Roe versus Wade is seen by many as political, because there's nothing new, nothing new to say, okay, this is that, and so forth. So it's a situation where these guys, because of political expedience, just went in the Supreme Court and and did this, would you say?
1: Agree. This is highly political, and unfortunately, the political is personal, like, just because it, it was highly politicized for them to strike this down and this is something that i will name like reproductive rights um organizers advocates activists have been telling us for years like so this was not a new thing i think if anyone was surprised that this happened this is like that is a this is your i'm telling you right now like this is your time to get connected with the people in your community who have been doing this because they've been sounding the alarm for years it just had not risen to a point where there was a lot mass conscious consciousness to really push back against that in my opinion so just putting that to um, an aside for one second, but yes, this was super, super political done. Absolutely for political gain. And when you peel the layers back um, about why this is, um, why this is happening, you will find like the elements of it is more profitable to ban abortions. Um, and, And I will name too, the striking down of Roe v Wade, the overturning of Roe v Wade is only banning safe abortions. Abortions have continued to happen and will continue to happen. And, Our communities have been getting abortions for years, but what they're doing is banning safe abortions. Um, Representative Pramala Jayapal actually recently cited a paper from Duke University Press that said that with a federal ban on abortion, black people would experience a 33% increase in deaths.
0: Exactly, and, um, you know, this will affect black women mostly, because black poor women, because those with... Uh, financial backgrounds and so forth with money will go wherever they need to go to to get it done so when they do things like these they always affect black poor women
1: Uh, unfortunately that's exactly right like the people who can afford like you said they will fly to Connecticut right they will fly to a state like New York our neighboring state where abortions are still legal But that's not going to help the poor black women in our communities who can't do that and who will rely on getting abortions that may be unsafe for them. 33% increase in black death because of a federal ban on abortion. That is absolutely disgusting. And once again, it's going to impact the most marginalized of our communities who don't have the money, access, resources, or privilege to be able to fly and get a
0: safe abortion. And that's why it is important to vote and to vote in every election, whether it's presidential election, whether it's election for your your town council people, your, your gubernatorial election. It's important to vote in every election and vote for people who are going to preserve your rights, not to take them away.
1: I agree, and I think to be to be quite frank, the Democrats have a large control. Right now, and this still happened, and so I think it is important for us to vote and make sure that we're voting in lawmakers who represent our interests, and not lawmakers that may only represent our interests when elections are happening. It is also an election year in Connecticut, so make sure those who are listening who are able to vote, please vote. Um, and I think this is—it is also as equally as important to make sure that we are staying connected and organized. And, and being, staying connected with our networks of care and support in an organized fashion so that when things do occur and they pop off, if it is something that we cannot vote on, like there is no, no, no vote upcoming, we at least have networks of people that we can start to organize with and create change on a, le- on a level that may exist outside of the voting practice. Like if we were to just show up, thousands of us, something is going to change. Show up with an organized demand. Um, it's also, quote Frederick Douglass, power concedes nothing without a demand. Um, and I would put an asterisk in there power concedes nothing without an organized demand. So mm. making sure that we are staying connected, voting is important, and we got to do the work that exists outside
0: of voting as well. Indeed. You're listening to What's Your Point on WPKN Radio. My guest on the show is Kenyatta Thompson. Director of Organizing at Cattell Center for Equity, Health and Justice. I am Garnet Ankel. Uh, what are the implications for those in the LGBTQ uh, community in terms of the striking down of Roe versus Wade?
1: For queer people, it is our healthcare is often harder to get and incredibly unique and I think for trans people, it's that that's another barrier that is just way more difficult. So I know that when people who are gender expansive, people who are non-binary, trans men who may be seeking abortions, um, and queer people who are just seeking reproductive care, it is going to be immensely more difficult for us to do that now in this post Roe v. Wade society. It and I, I stated this earlier, but just to name like while I'm not a trans person, I'm speaking um, um, I'm speaking like to my trans siblings. Um, it is a lot harder to get health care when you are trans, to find a doctor that will give you the type of care and respect and dignity that you deserve. And now you add on top of this, if you're a trans person who um, is going to give birth and you live in a, in a state now that has a federal ban on abortions that went into effect immediately when it was signed, like immediately, it's going to be significantly harder for you to seek the type of care that you need and then have the money and resources to even do so. so Uh, Queer communities are continuing to do what we have had to do for centuries, which is band together and share resources, share tips, and provide that type of on-the-ground support for each other that we can to make sure that we don't just die because of this.
0: If someone is same-sex and the society is making laws, erase them. There must be some psychological impact in the states where same-sex people are marginalized. Are you seeing an increase of people in that community dying by suicide?
1: I can't speak yet to like an increase of death by suicide, but like as a queer person, um, in a relationship with someone who is non binary, like it it is causing me psychological harm. I will just say that, like, to be quite frank, because I, I don't know what this is going to bring In the future and yes we live here in connecticut but we know how easily laws can change and we know how easily this may um this may impact us and even though i I haven't seen anything um as far as like suicide yet like i can absolutely tell you just given my work in suicide prevention that this will lead to an increase like suicide prevention is not just making sure that there is a suicide hotline not just making sure that people have access to a therapist or a counselor but suicide prevention is giving people gender-affirming care. Suicide prevention is creating a culture where same-sex couples or couples who are LGBTQIA+, part of the alphabet soup, um, feel safe. It's creating a culture where women, trans men, uh, non-binary people, gender-expansive people can get a safe access to abortions. It is creating... That is suicide prevention. It is more than just what I think people often think suicide prevention is on the surface because you named it. this is going to cause psychological distress. This is going to cause emotional damage. And this is going to impact our community so negatively. And I'm glad that you did bring up that point around when people don't know where else to go, suicide is like an option that people will do. But there are things that we absolutely can change to make it so that people don't go that route. And that starts with creating a culture where people can be themselves, people can feel safe, and people can get the type of care that they need.
0: And you see I ask that question because in addition to the overturn of Roe, uh, we've been seeing now for a number of years the, 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 the erase or the, the erasure or the trying to erase same sex people. So I'm just thinking that maybe the last several years or so you may you know have seen something about you know the suicide rate. Coming up, so that's why I asked that question. Not because uh, it would be hard to ask. It just wrote was just mm. overturned last last week, you know. So I was just thinking about the last several years whether you've seen, but uh, you're not quite sure yet. Yes, but
1: over the last couple of years, absolutely. As these, because these bills didn't happen
0: overnight,
1: mm-hmm. right? Like they, it creates these laws and this legislation starts by the conversations that are happening in the home, the conversations that are happening in the supermarket. And there has been an increase, and especially, unfortunately, an increase in the number of uh, deaths of trans people. Like, black trans women have such a high rate of death and murder. It is, it is ridiculous, and it is harmful. I just went online yesterday and saw that another black trans woman was murdered, and it, this is an unfortunate like regular occurrence for queer people and especially for trans people and especially for black trans women the yeah and the number i know we're we're naming suicides and not necessarily murder but i I did have to bring that up because like the number of like trans people who are murdered just the numbers are astronomical and like there has been an increase in the number of trans people specifically who have unfortunately taken their lives and that is why we, like, queer communities are sounding the alarm on all of these bills attacking trans children because we know the impact that it is going to have.
0: And uh, from where you sit, do you think society, the wider society and uh, the the media are not paying attention to, to, to these uh, challenges in the LGBTQ community?
1: I think that is true. I don't think that... Um, A lot of the challenges that trans folks have do attacks um, are getting, like, or LGBT um, or queer people are having do make it sometimes to the mainstream. And this is why we have created our own, like, avenues. We have our, um, we have, like, news sources. We have magazines that we have created for each other. Um, And I do think that we are pushing the mainstream media to pay attention to us, like, forcing them to put a spotlight on our communities to make us... To see us as the full human beings that we are, who are going through these issues, and this is only going to increase over the like as we're in this like post world world. Like, what I mean is going to increase is our our refusal to be seen as less than, and our refusal to not be seen at all.
0: And uh, I see it as a travesty if one sector or any sector of any society is marginalized, because if you talk about justice and equal rights and fair play, it must be for all, not for some.
1: Correct. Like, if you don't, those shouts of liberty are just a hollow mockery.
0: Indeed, indeed. We, we see the activist justices on the United States Supreme Court about to go further. We spoke about it a little earlier, but just going to expound on it a little. They don't want to go further and striking, though. After striking down Roe vs. Wade, they want to ban various forms of female contraceptives. Come to think of it. They are, they are mainly men who are trying to do this. Yeah. Uh, they want to run women's lives. Uh, for conception to take place naturally, a man must be involved. All the burden is on the woman while not a thing is done to the man. Your thoughts? Yes, it is the impact of the patriarchy.
1: Like it, when, when people talk about the patriarchy being harmful and being a source of uh being when people talk about the patriarchy and its negative impacts this is a clear example of what we mean you have these supreme court justices who are not women who do not have uteruses making a making it so that guns
0: at times have more rights than people who give birth Indeed. like. It
1: is, yeah. It is. It is the impact of the patriarchy, and I think these these things are interwoven. We talked about we've so far in this program. We've talked about capitalism. We've talked about imperialism. The patriarchy is unfortunately woven into all of that, and is one of and is and is a part of that,
0: unfortunately. Yeah, I should add that one of them is a woman. Just one, one who voted in the Supreme Court the other day is a woman.
1: Yes, that is absolutely true. And how often have we seen? Uh, women who are also impacted by the patriarchy and like still, you know, you're still caught up in that and will vote against their own self-interest because they are voting with the the ruling class. Like, horrible.
0: You know, uh, I think women's rights are human rights. I think also that they are civil rights. It's an injustice to take away any right from any set of people. Your thoughts on that?
1: Absolutely. It is human rights. I, I don't have anything more to add, like, because you, you put you nail on the head. Like, women's rights are civil rights and they are human rights.
0: How does the future look for women's reproductive rights in the United States?
1: I think in this moment, they're looking pretty bleak, right? Um, to be quite frank, it, this was something that, again, people have been talking about for a very long time, and for it to come to fruition is still, you know, a shock. Um, We had the draft leak. The draft opinion was leaked a few weeks ago, and we all were up in arms, and then mainstream, it's sort of like there was a lull, Uh, and then, you know, here we are. So it's not something that we were shocked to, but it's still a shock to the system. However, even though it looks really bleak, I think it is often darkest before the dawn this in this moment as as an organizer as someone who the sole purpose of like what I do is to build collective power and develop the leadership of people so that they can lead and drive change on their own, I see moments like these as it is so overt that people have to see what's going on and like we've got to wake up and I see this really as an opportunity for us to really start. To continue the work that we've been doing organizing activating our networks mobilizing people and just to continue with it and just go harder because so many people are going to be radicalized by this moment let this not lead you to despair but let this radicalize you so if you have your weeks where you're like whoa this is really heavy and this feels really bleak and you feel it in your body you feel it in your spirit you feel it in your mind let your body like get that rest that you need to take care and then Seriously, like reach out into your community and see who is doing this work because someone is doing this work. And if you've done your due diligence, you've called your friends, you've did your internet searches, you've gone to the local events, you've researched online and you're coming up with nothing. This is where you reach out to other communities and you start to learn how do I build these networks? Let this, not, let this moment not lead you to despair, but let this radicalize you so that you can just push back with us
0: I think it's safe for me to say your organization, Cartel Center, plays an important role in advancing women's reproductive rights. You are working out of two states, here in Connecticut and New York, where women's reproductive rights continue to be respected by the political authorities. So what else do you think can be done, or what are you doing directly to advance women's rights?
1: Absolutely. So as an organization, because we, a lot of the issues that we've worked on, drug policy reform, criminal justice reform, healthcare, um, women's rights and like reproductive rights have been woven into that, but it hasn't been something that we've explicitly done as an organization. Um, individuals in the organization, I think have done that, you know, outside of it, um, and brought that into the organization, but it's something that we are taking a really concerted look at now and making sure that we're standing, um, not to necessarily just stand in solidarity, but we're really being co-conspirators. So for us, both in Connecticut, where we're headquartered, where we are, we have our headquarters in New York, where we also work in Brooklyn. um, We work statewide, but our office is in Brooklyn. What we're doing is we're ma- we're doing the, the exact same advice I gave two seconds ago. That's what we're doing as an organization. So we're getting connected with the organizations on the ground who have been doing this work, whether we're looking at women against mass incarceration locally here in Connecticut, whether we're looking at uh, Planned Parenthood of Southern New England, whether we're looking at NARAL pro-choice, um, and we're... And, these are just organizations I'm naming in Connecticut, well, the Connecticut Women's Legal and Education Fund. Um, we're also looking to national organizations like the National Abortion Funds. We're also getting connected um, to national groups who have like local organizations and local groups in New York as well who have been doing this work so we can say, hey, what can we do to push back against this as well? How can we be co-conspirators in this moment and work alongside you so that as you're advancing these rights, we're also making sure that we're centering them in our demands and doing more than just standing in solidarity, but really working actively alongside you so that if there are rooms we're in, we can put you in there. And if you are rooms if there are rooms that you're in, that we can also just like be an extra be an extra body, be an extra organizational figure, like we will do all of those things. This is a moment for us to really recognize how interconnected our issues are. And that is important for us as CATAL as an organization because we recognize the interconnectedness of all of these issues. Like, banning Roe v. Wade just opened the door to criminalizing abortions and people who are seeking abortions. And so, this is a clear example of how this is squarely in the realm of criminal justice reform. And, like, it is squarely in the realm of all the other intersecting issues that we're working on. It is healthcare at its core. It is the <clears throat> it is economic justice. When we were talking about marginalized uh, communities, black women, queer people who may not have, poor people who don't have access in terms of monetary to go to a state that can allow safe abortions. So this is squarely now in the realm of economic justice. Like, we have to stand together in this moment. And as an organization, we are taking that stand very seriously to say, like, absolutely not. Like, all of our issues are connected. And that means that in order for us to be truly... To get to liberation like all of us have to be free and so, it starts one by one
0: so and uh, it is clear to say it is safe to say then that uh Katel is uh, on the forefront of criminal justice uh advocacy would you say
1: i would say organizing and advocacy uh, just because we're community organizers of the core of what we do
0: okay and in terms of health what, what 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 do you do where health is concerned? Because you're a off center for equity, health, and justice. So where health is concerned, what advocacy do you get?
1: Yeah, I'll name two uh, big areas that I want to name. So, right now, as far as healthcare, we started this program off by talking about the pandemic that we're still living in. And one of the biggest things that we have been focused on for the last two plus years as an organization is the impact that COVID 19 is having on incarcerated populations. That is a healthcare issue. And so, we have a campaign, our Freedom Now CT campaign, which is designed to force the Department of Corrections to create a comprehensive and transparent COVID-19 plan for incarcerated people, and it will have an impact on the staff as well. One of our demands is to make sure that the department has an independent healthcare, an independent body of healthcare experts that then have oversight over the medical provisions and the COVID-19 monitoring plan, and that that plan is made transparent. Connecticut is the only state in the country that its Department of Corrections has oversight over the health care for incarcerated people. They ended their contract, they being the Department of Corrections, the DOC for easier, ended their contract with UConn Health, which provided the health care provisions in the department, which were god awful, I will name. In 2019, they had 25 health care medical malpractice lawsuits against them, so just to name UConn Health was not providing a quality healthcare service, but they ended the contract with UConn Health around 2019, 2020, I believe, uh, right before the pandemic. And then they hired the same doctors from UConn Health to provide the healthcare in the DOC, but they no longer report out to UConn. They just report straight to the DOC. So healthcare is abysmal. Nearly 90% of people in our jails and prisons have gotten COVID-19 since the pandemic began. And that has, that number has been on the rise. Um, And so it's a congregate care setting. And so the health care for incarcerated people right now is just really abysmal. So we're pushing right now in our Freedom Now Connecticut campaign to really get um, a quality health care in the Department of Corrections and make sure that people are protected protected against COVID-19. And the second thing that I'll name is our um, one of our newer campaigns, which is Cut, Shut, Invest. And that campaign is, deci- is designed to cut the number of incarcerated people and budgets of the Department of Correction, uh, shut prisons down, and invest in communities. When we talk about investing in communities, we're talking about housing, health care, employment, education. And that healthcare piece is something that I really want to hammer in on because... The millions of dollars that we spend on incarceration in Connecticut, that could go directly into the health in the hands of people in communities. And that could specifically go to improve the quality of health care that we have in our communities. These like when you look at social determinants of health, like it is abysmal for black communities. It is abysmal for brown communities. It is abysmal for poor communities and marginalized communities. And especially here in Connecticut, our health care is not like it is not well. I'm a person who has, like, pretty decent health care, and I'm struggling when I'm trying to get my, my own healthcare needs met, let alone, we're talking about communities that are um, dealing, communities that, you know, use substances and trying to get quality health care and destigmatize health care. So that campaign is really designed to put invest money directly in communities, and take the money that we would save on cutting the police, um, cutting budgets in the Department of Corrections, cutting the number of people who are incarcerated, closing down those prisons, like, we're spending millions of dollars on our prisons, that is used to detain people, and that money could go directly for providing for good quality health care for people who are incarcerated, not just people who are incarcerated, but people in communities so that they have good quality health care in general.
0: Are you getting anywhere with those two advocacy challenges?
1: As far as Freedom Now Connecticut, yeah, we're moving on we're moving on um, this le- we're moving on uh, this campaign and looking forward to next year's legislative session so that we can really have a bill in the legislature that pushes the Department of Corrections to provide this uh, quality health care. Um, the governor has failed to address the COVID-19 pandemic and incarceration, and so we're looking towards the legislature now. It's up to lawmakers to move where the governor has failed. And as far as Cut, Shut, Invest, that's a it's a newer campaign for us at catal and so we're continuing to do the work and the organizing on the ground, um, and... Looking forward to what next year will bring as far as being able to reduce the number of people who are incarcerated and then hopefully down the line get the, the money that we're saving, that we're saving the state to invest in communities and things like healthcare.
0: care. Indeed. Uh, did you have anything else to add before we say so long?
1: The thing that i would like to wrap we've talked about a lot today garden and i really um love your show because we get to talk about such expansive topics whether we're talking about the impact of roe v wade on black communities on queer communities whether we're talking about how uh queer communities have been targeted and and we're even talking about the different things elements that push you know our laws whether we're the capitalism the patriarchy imperialism the thing that I want to end with, and I feel like I often end with this when I'm on your show, but there are so many moments that could lead you to despair. When you turn on the news, when you have a conversation with your friends, when you are going for a walk and you're seeing you know, people in communities that are just really, really stressed and struggling. Do not let this lead you to isolation. The solution to all of this is community. And the more we are in community with each other, the more we can organize, the more we can activate each other, the more we can agitate each other into action. And so find an organization that you can get connected with on the ground. Find your network. Create those networks if they don't exist. Look for the people who have been doing this in your communities for a long time and take direction from them and learn from them so that you can have a meaningful way to input there's a role for everybody in our movements and no one is going to get left behind as long as we go together so i just want to end with the solution to this is organizing
0: indeed Kenyatta thompson it has always been a pleasure having you on the show thanks for being here thank you so much You have been listening to What's Your Point here on WPKN Radio. My guest was Kenyatta Thompson, Director of Organizing at Cattell Center for Equity, Health and Justice. I am Garnet Ankle.